welcome to PD in a Pod, where we will help you unlock the best strategies to create proactive schools. Join our hosts, Stacy and AT, as they journey through the latest professional development topics in education. This podcast will provide practical strategies for building culture, designing engaging lessons, using data to drive instruction, and developing multi-tiered systems of support for every student. Welcome to PD in a Pod, the podcast where we talk about proactive teaching and learning solutions to everyday teacher woes. Um, I'm your host, Stacey Owens-Helms, and I'm excited that you'll join us today for our, our podcast today. We're going to be talking about assessment literacy with A.T. Nelson. Um, A.T. Nelson, if you've not heard yet, he is a former NASA systems engineer, former uh, school administrator, and now a solution helper, guider, and all things teaching and learning at schools. So welcome, A.T. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here, Stacy. Thanks for having me. So I hear about this new book you've got, Proactive Schools. So in, in that book, I, I want to talk today a little bit more about assessment literacy. Now, the full title is Proactive Schools, a step-by-step guide to data-driven instructional cycles. And you go into your book quite a bit about assessment literacy. So um, that's why we're chatting here today. So let's start off with telling our listeners and viewers what are assessments and what does assessment literacy mean? So I've not always heard that term, assessment literacy. What does that mean to you? Well, first, when we think about assessments in general, um, sometimes our hearts start to beat fast. Um, We start (laughs) getting sweaty palms. We start thinking that the world is coming to an end uh, because this is the day that we are going to be assessed. Well, relax relate, release, this PD in a pod is not going to scare anybody away. Um, We are just going to talk about how we can become assessment literate um, as educators and also how we can groom uh, students to be that as well. Um, And that term of assessments can be scary because we like to think that it is synonymous with that word test. Um, But technically, the term assessment refers to the wide variety of methods or tools that educators use to evaluate, measure, and document the academic readiness, learning progress, um, skill acquisition, and educational needs of students. Um, That's really what it's all about. It's not meant to be a gotcha. It's not meant to be a one and done. Um, And so what we have found is that a lot of our teachers um, are in need of assessment literacy. And when we think about assessment literacy, it's understanding um, primarily not just that what is what assessments are, um, mm-hmm. but also how to create them, uh, how to evaluate existing ones, um, and how to use them to drive teaching and learning. Um, assessments, a lot of times, if they are given to us, we might misuse them, we might abuse them, we, we may use them in a way that actually hurts our children. Uh, so assessment literacy is really about knowing that proper way uh, to utilize assessments to drive our teaching and learning in our classrooms. I really like that, um, you know, you use the word abusing them. And I think sometimes it's just from lack of knowledge. It's not because obviously that we intend to use them incorrectly. Um, it's mm-hmm. just because we just don't have that deep sound understanding of what that assessment does, kind of how it functions and what it does for us. Um, it, we almost feel like assessments do something to us a little right. bit. And that's where that anxiety lives a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, I, I know you're going to talk about it and you, you go to this in the book as well about assessment literacy as it relates to the quality of instruction. Mm-hmm. So how, are, mm-hmm. how, how, how is instruction related to this assessment literacy concept? How do those two actually connect? 
Well, even taking a step back before I get into that and just talking about where the typical assessment comes from, it usually comes from uh, some standards. You know, we talk about in the book, in the book, this idea of official standards and official standards are those standards that have been adopted right. by some organization. Um, and embedded in those standards are uh, some descriptors around the cognitive demand that those standards are going to require for students. Um, mm -hmm. And so when we think about assessments, we are thinking about how we're going to measure that cognitive demand. And the cognitive demand is almost kind of like what it sounds like. It's the cognitive ability is being pushed um, at certain levels by the assessment. And what we find a lot of times is okay. that this idea of assessments, the reason that it scares some people is because it can be so subjective, right? The, the cognitive mm -hmm. demand, right. the way that we measure that cognitive demand can really depend on the assessor, right? So you can take something that's really simple and easy, like uh, say we read a book and we're gonna read a book called The Three Little Pigs. And I can say, okay, well then now it's time to assess your understanding of Three Little Pigs, right? You read that book and you right. saw the wolf going around blowing on houses and now we're gonna assess, you know, do you understand that? And, and if I'm a teacher, I can have a certain um, understanding of what assessment literacy means. And I could just simply ask you how many pigs there were, right? Um, and that's that's an right. assessment question. It's a question I could ask, um, but it requires very low cognitive demand. Um, the name of the book is The Three Little Pigs. So it, it's almost embedded in the title. Matter of fact, no, it is embedded in the right. title. So the right. level of cognitive demand is low, but it is a valid question. There's nothing wrong with that question. True. Um, you know, so it's very subjective because at the very same time that I could ask that question, I could ask a student to compare three little pigs to Little Red Riding Wolf, which both had uh, Little Red Riding Hood, which both had wolves in the story. Um, and I could ask you to compare right. and contrast the two wolves from those two different texts. Um, and that's still a very fair assessment question. But that second assessment question has a, a much more <laughs> complex level of rigor, right? right. Like it's asking more of the student. Absolutely. So when we think about assessing, we have to really get in line with what the standard is expecting us to do. So I talked to a lot, a lot okay. of teachers about going back to that standard, deconstructing it, figuring out what the mm -hmm. level of the verbs are. And what by level, I mean the rigor level of those verbs. Uh, right. So that you know right. that when you are assessing the student, that you are aligning your assessment to match up with that. Assessments are not supposed to be gotchas. That's the bottom line. They're not supposed to be gotchas. When we think right. about an assessment right. that we're giving to students, it shouldn't scare them. It shouldn't make them anxious because these are things that they should have been seeing along the way. Stacey, it reminds me of my right. daughter who um, was taking karate and uh, she, she smiles a lot, by the way, if you ever meet her, she's like always got a smile on her face, <laughs> yeah, always does. happy. And yeah. so she was in the dojo and she was making those motions that she needed to make during karate. And, and her sensei kept right. saying, no face, no face. Um, basically saying oh, when you're no. making that motion, you're supposed to have a serious oh, no. face. And she kept smiling and she'd look over at us, she'd smile. And then she turned back <laughs> and she, you know, try to get focused. And so every time that the, the, my daughter would make a mistake in her movement and her facial expression, immediately the sensei would jump in and correct that, right? She would, he would okay. jump in and he'd correct it immediately. And then he said something to her that I thought was so powerful and it applies to our conversation around assessment literacy. He said to my daughter, I have been watching you along the way. 
And based uh-huh. on the observations that I have for you, um, have on you, I believe that you're ready, watch this, I believe that you're ready to be assessed, you see. And based uh-huh. on that readiness that I have observed, Kelsey, I would like for you to show up on Saturday so that you could get mm. your white belt. Listen to that last part. So that first part, I have been watching you along the way, right? And so right. because I've been watching you, I now believe you're ready to be assessed. So then show mm-hmm. up on Saturday so that I can assess you. No, no. So that you can get your white belt is what he said. Now, of course, wow. I was taken back by that because I didn't realize that the white belt didn't come with my registration fee. That he actually <laughs> had actually worked <laughs> to get that white belt. It wasn't an automatic thing. But I yeah. loved the way that the sensei communicated to the do- to my wow. daughter because when she woke up on Saturday morning, she wasn't nervous. She wasn't yeah. anxious. She wasn't worried whether or not she was going to get her white belt or not because the sensei said, today is the day you get your white belt. Right. In education, we call that a productive disposition. It's the attitude wow. that we have towards something. So can you imagine all over the country, mm. all over the globe, Students right. walking into their classroom on assessment day with that productive disposition because they know their teacher has been walk- watching them this entire time wow. and has anointed them, has appointed them to be ready to get their A because this is the day that they get their A. And so they walk in with that attitude. I already know I'm going to ace this wow. because my sensei has been watching me this entire time. So it's just a powerful story that I felt like all of us in the educational space could really glean from in terms of the impact assessment literacy can have on our students' productive disposition on teaching and learning in general. Wow, I love that story. Um, it is so impactful and just what a different mindset, both for students and for teachers. Right. If you go in with that feeling that I'm getting my A today. It, I'm I've already kind a. of I, I've worked all the way up. I've done the hard work. I've put in the time and I'm just getting my A today. I mean it's, it's just today. my day to get my A. Yeah. What are you doing today? I'm getting my A today, right? You know, I, I thought that I think I'm powerful. gonna take that verbiage. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna take I'm that gonna verbiage with day. me. I'm gonna but get watch, my watch, watch the reason that worked though, Stace. The reason that it worked was because oh, yeah. the sensei had watching. been watching right. along the way along the and way. adjusting and modifying. And how many right. times in our classrooms um, do we do that with our students, mm-hmm. right? If right. we're standing up front and talking to them for 90 minutes, then it's gonna be hard to adjust and modify as soon as a era is discovered. Um, but if we are watching the entire time as they are practicing and performing, then we can jump in and say, wait a second, that decimal is in the wrong place. Wait a second, you should have put a period at the end of that sentence. And we just kind of help move them along the way so that on assessment day, they're ready. And that's why those senseis are those masters, those master teachers. Master teachers, that's right. They're coming alongside and they're grooming you all along the way. And we almost forget that is our role, is to groom along the way and just push them off and push them out of the nest and say, you ready to fly. Let's go. That's, That's right. Let's say, but assessments are not scary. <laughs> assessments are not scary. It's a, it's a joy point. If you're ready. I mean, yes. I, I do love that. Cause I remember kiddos coming into my classroom with a little stack of three by fives that they're memorizing and they're working on. And then anxiety that came in that little zippy bag of all of those things they'd been practicing, practicing, practicing. But mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. If you said, I, the teacher have been noticing along the way and you are ready. Let's do this. Let's get this for you. So let's get it done. Um, yeah. 
That's a that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so as we talked about that, I, I want to back up just a little bit. And you talked about teachers actually creating assessments. So you're you're saying that teachers need to create all of their assessments from deconstructed standards, or give me more on that because that 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 I will tell you as a teacher that made me a little anxious. Going, Wait a minute, <laughs> I, I got to do all my assessments now. I've got to create them all from scratch. You're saying. Absolutely not. Um, okay, all good. teachers Woo! in America, okay. every teacher across the globe should be able to create, oh, evaluate, to. Okay. and use. Um, okay. So cool. when I say create your assessment, that simply means that if I look at a standard and I deconstruct that standard to determine mm -hmm. the skills, the concepts, and the context of that standard, just like I should be able to go from standard to instruction, I should also should be able to go from standard to uh -huh. assessment. I should be able to write the assessment that goes okay. with that standard without going to Pinterest, without going to teacher pay teacher, without Googling. <laughs> I should just within right. my own professional mental capacity be able okay. to write the okay. selected response, the constructive response that goes with it. That does not mean that every single time that you give an assessment to a student that you should mm -hmm. be writing it from scratch. What we're really trying to okay, produce good. in America is an educated consumer. You know, it's like okay. that shoe shopper. Right. Like my wife loves shoes and she can go into a shoe store and she can already tell you the price of the shoe before she yeah. even gets up to the shoe. She can already right. tell you, I know exactly how much that one is going to be because she right. is an educated consumer and she'll go and she'll say, well, right. I'm not paying that. That's not the mm -hmm. right price. It needs to be a little lower than right. that um, because she is an educated consumer. This is what we're trying to produce. Every teacher in America should be an educated consumer of existing assessment items. Okay. So that when you go to Pinterest, you go to teacher pay teacher, don't just do the click and pull. You need to have some process, some way of evaluating those assessment items that you find from those different assessment mm -hmm. banks so that you can know which ones are appropriate to give to our students and when they should be given to our students. Wow, that's really powerful. Okay, I'm glad you took that that monkey off my back. I'm saying I didn't have to create them all myself. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to make you scared. like a daunting job. Yeah, assessments are not okay. scary. <laughs> okay, good. Assessments are not scary. Gonna get you an A, and I don't have to create them all myself. That's those are all good things. So with that assessment literacy, making those connections to our instructions. So how can good assessments or our power of assessment literacy as teachers, how can that impact my instruction? Well, let's go, let's let's think about the way that assessments are generally derived. Like let's let's start with high okay. stakes assessments. Um, so high stakes assessments are those assessments that determine accountability for schools, school report cards, they determine whether a kid gets promoted to the next grade level, et cetera. Right. Um, for those high stakes assessments, they are typically based on some set of official standards, right? Right. Um, right. Now, those official standards, for example, could be um, adopted for a state. And when they are adopted, they apply to all of the students within that organization or affiliated with that organization. So that means that if okay. we have a set of state adopted standards, then those standards apply to every single kid in that state. OK, so when the adopters sit down to approve whether or not, whether or not those are going to be our standards, they are basing it on all students in that state, for example, being able to demonstrate mastery on those standards. Now, why am I saying that? If, if those standards were written and approved for every kid in that state, then by mm -hmm. default, they are a minimum 
set of proficiency standards. Does that make sense? In other words, if it's, if it's applying to everybody, then what we're right. saying is that this has to work for everybody. We expect all kids minimally to be able to do these things. That's what they are, right? Now, it doesn't mean the kids can do all of that. It doesn't mean the kid can do less than that, but we expect that all of our kids can do that minimally in order to graduate. You got to demonstrate proficiency with these standards. Then we write a state assessment. Now, that state assessment okay. is meant to assess those standards. These are the standards that were adopted by the state. They said we expect all kids to be able to master these. By default, mm -hmm. that means that minimally we expect all kids to be able to do this before they go to seventh grade, before they go to eighth grade, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's what we expect. So that means that assessment that is assessing those standards, that assessment is assessing those minimum proficiency minimum. standards. Right. And so if they're assessing the minimum proficiency standards, then that means it is a minimum proficiency assessment. That means it is assessing those standards right at its minimum level. That means in order to go to the next grade level, minimally, you need to pass this assessment, which means you need to demonstrate mastery on these minimum standards. Why am I saying that? It, the way that we have pitched uh, standards and the way that we've pitched assessments in a lot of ways makes it feel like that those standards are indeed the ceiling of of teaching and learning. And, and they're not. Right. The standards are more okay. like the floor. They're the floor. They're, they're saying minimally in this thing, mm. this is what students need to be able to do. When you are assessing in the state, now legally, think about it, legally. If I am legally right. going to write an assessment for every kid in the state, then I need to make mm -hmm. sure that it is set at that exact level of the standard, not above, not below, it's gonna match the standard. So by default, right. that assessment is assessing the minimum set of proficiency minimum. standards, making wow. it a minimum proficiency test. Now, I know this is eye-opening to a lot of educators, but I want you to walk with me here because a lot of educators have students that are in the basement. Does that make sense? Like, like <laughs> I hear what you're saying, sir, True. but, I'm just, I'm in the basement. I'm trying to get to the floor, okay? Right. And right. so I'm, I'm trying to put all of these interventions in place and all these scaffolds in place and structures and things that we can do to just get the kids to the floor. I understand that. Floor. And I, and I don't, I don't, I don't debate that at all. I know I was in schools like that. I know that schools are, have a lot of kids that are in the basement, but I, I need you to pay attention to this point though. How do we get kids to the floor and beyond? Think about it. If I'm in, if I'm trying to work out, if I'm trying to get in shape, right? If I'm trying to do something and get my body right, mm -hmm. um, and I hire me a physical trainer, that physical trainer is not going to come up to me and say, "I need you to go walk a mile," right? And I want you to walk as slow mm -hmm. as you can, right? And I want your slowest <laughs> time possible. That's what I'm looking like. And I'm not going to go to the gym to the weight room and and he says, "Okay, well then let's see how much you can lift." And then he puts like two pounds on me and he goes, "Let's see if you can lift the two pounds." No. What he's going to do is he's going to maximize me. He's going to figure out what that maximum runtime is. How fast can I run at my fullest speed for how long? And he's going to want to know what is the maximum weight I can lift. Why is that? Because you can't get stronger by lifting slow, low, uh, light weight. I don't know anybody can do that. Yeah. You can't get stronger by lifting light yeah. weight. Um, you get stronger by lifting heavy weight. Um, so I need to put weight on you. Matter of fact, I need to put more weight on you than you normally mm. are able to uh, lift because that's how we build the muscle mass, right? If I expect you to run okay. fast and faster, then I'm going to have to keep pushing you and pushing you so that you run faster and faster. That is the work of a coach. That is what we do. So I want you right. to now make, take that analogy and apply it to what's happening in our classrooms. When we get kids that we notice are in the basement, how do mm -hmm. we get them to the floor? 
I suggest you get them to the floor by showing them the ceiling. You push them to the ceiling. Think about this. How many of our kids are coming to us going, so uh, I see this reading assignment that you gave me. It wasn't long enough. I needed a couple of more pages to read last <laughs> night, you know? Um, so yeah. next time, teacher, can you please give me some extra homework? I mean, just think about this. I mean, just trying to have real talk with the audience, right? So how many of you in the math class going, you know, teacher, you gave me 10 problems last night, but I was kind of hoping for 20. 20. So yeah, next yeah. next time, next time I need to give you 20, right? Human beings yeah, not naturally happening. take the path of least resistance, right? So when I set the mm -hmm. bar right here, most adults are shooting right under that. Most kids are shooting right <laughs> under that, right? And so remember, I'm talking about minimum proficiency standards. So if I set the right. standard at the floor, if that's the standard for my instruction, that's the standard I'm shooting for, most kids will wind up in the basement every single time. You see how I'm bringing that home? They will wind up in the yeah. basement every single time. I get them out of the basement by pushing them to the ceiling. See, if I raise the expectations by putting more weight on them that they even think that they can bear, if I raise the bar all the way up to the ceiling, mm -hmm. they may not make it all the way to that ceiling. I'm not naive. I understand that. But guess what? If I set the bar right. up here, they might fall a little below that. They might fall a little right. below that. But what they won't fall is all the way down to the floor. All the you way see? Down. Because right. they, they're always right. going to take the path to least resistance. And since I know that, I set that bar so high, they have no choice but to comply. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a lot. I want to let that just sink in a little bit because in my entire teaching career, we have kind of set the standard or that assessment as our ceiling. It's like, we got to get to the standard. I hear it all the time. We've got to get there. We got to get there. That's my, that's my end goal. And what you're saying is you're, you're, you're moving that beyond. So beyond. My we got to go beyond. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. I, and that makes so much sense because, I mean, if you're training for a marathon, you don't just stop at your 5K. Like, oh, I've trained. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you you're you keep working your weight and up and up and up and up, and there's that gradual um, training process that gets you there, but you got to do more. I mean, that You got to do more. You can't run. If you're, if you're trying to run a 5K, you should probably be practicing a 10K, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, let's bring that back to a point I want to make sure the audience clearly understands. I'm talking okay. about the correlation between instruction and assessment. And assessment. Okay? Instruction aims for the ceiling because Correct. the assessment is at the floor. Is the, the floor. You see, Got it. Right? So yeah. instruction aims for the ceiling. So in my instruction, I am pushing the rigor all the way right. up to the ceiling. I know students may not be able to do that right. level of rigor, but since the assessment is at the floor and floor. in my classroom, all they've had was ceiling experiences, by the time they see the assessment at that floor level, they feel like my daughter did when yeah. she got her white belt. They are They're like, I test. feel good about this. I am ready yeah. to go in here and get my A so that I can move on. But we, when we teach to the test, when we teach right. at the level of the test and that level of the test uh, is the is level of our instruction, floor. then think about it. You're right. teaching toward the floor and then you're assessing at the floor. But I just told you, we always take the path of least resistance. That means your students are performing in the basement, you see? But if I yeah. teach towards the ceiling and then I assess at the floor, then my students fall above the floor. They pass the assessment. Yeah. So yeah. it's important for us to use that when we're trying to transform our classrooms into teaching and learning mm -hmm. experiences that can push students from the basement to their highest potential that they possibly can achieve. Wow, wow. That's exciting. That actually kind of pops the roof off of it and just kind of there is no real feeling in anymore because it's really no. driven by your 
by your learners and what you offer them in your instruction. Yeah. So that's, right. that's, and it makes that not so scary. It makes that right. assessment that, you know, big assessment, not so scary. So I've talked about those assessments, uh, those official um, assessments, those standard assessments. Um, how does assessment literacy connect to grading? How do, how do, mm. how do we make mm -hmm. those connections for teachers? Mm -hmm. Well, I've always been a big proponent, those who know me, of um, a checklist. I feel like uh, success criteria is nothing more, nothing less than a checklist of things that students need right. to know and do in order to demonstrate proficiency on the standard. And a lot of schools have moved to standards-based grading um, mm -hmm. as a way to address some of the inequities in grading policies um, because we know grading can be tied to grade promotions, scholarships, things like that. Um, no play, you know, no, no pass, no play rules. Uh, so a lot of schools have moved to the standards-based grading. But keep in mind that a standard has skills and concepts embedded in it. And a lot, a lot of times standards are not mastered the first time students see them. Really? So if we're going to incorporate, right? Exactly. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, it takes multiple opportunities of students being exposed to it to get mastery. And right. so if we're going to do standards-based grading, I have always suggested that we need to use success criteria as our, as our guide. In other words, we need to deconstruct the standard to come up with a list of skills and concepts that a student needs to do in order to demonstrate mastery of the standard. And if that success criteria is aligned with that standard, then that success criteria can become our guide for standards-based grading. And if that success criteria has in it the steps, success criteria is nothing more, nothing less than a checklist of the learning steps that a student needs to take to get from wherever they are to mastery of the standard. So if there are 10 learning steps and the student has done seven of those 10, then they are at 70% mastery of the standard. It's just that simple, right? I've seen a lot of uh, grading policies go, they've either mastered the standard or they haven't mastered the standard. And that is too broad. What we should do instead is we should create a checklist of scaffolds that lead the student to mastery and then score them based on the percent of mastery that they have had toward that standard. So again, if it has 10 learning steps and they've done half, then that's 50%, they're at 50% mastery. So we first have to take the standard, deconstruct it, create that list and now use that list to guide us through the assessment literacy journey when we get to that place where it's time for us to assign points. Um, and we can assign those point values based on that checklist of scaffolds that get us to where they need to be. And if they got all of those items on that checklist checked off, mm -hmm. then congratulations, they have mastered the standard. Then we can adequately be able to assign uh, a grade to a student that shows without bias because these are the list right. of criteria that they need for success. And that's true for all the students. So it's not connected to homework, not connected to class participation. It's solely connected to how they have done with the skills and concepts embedded in the standard. So I've seen these skills. I've seen teachers put, these are the things you need to do to be able to achieve this mm -hmm. you know, concept. So right. you're saying those things that we write on the board, all the steps really become our success criteria for our students in service of mastery of that standard. Absolutely, yes. You, less, it's more. the difference between the what and the how. You know, when right. you talk about standards-based grading, standard tells us what students need to do. Um, the success criteria, success criteria tells us how they're going to get to that mastery. And so, yes, we put that on the board and, 
you know, as those students are checking off each of those things, we know they're getting closer and closer to mastery. That makes communicating so much easier when you don't <laughs> yeah. have to say, you know, you're failing because you're missing this assignment or you're failing because yeah. you not participating bomb enough this in class yeah. right? or bomb this test. No, we're saying right. these are the specific skills that we haven't checked off yet. And you will be able to pass when you check off those skills. Now that makes a lot more sense to a student who's trying to process, how do I get from right. where I am to, to where I'm trying to go in this class? Right, I think when, we, and that leads into that mindset of grit and, and being able to pinpoint exactly where I need to do my work. Like, where is it that I need to jump in as a student and a learner? Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm working right here on this piece right here so I can get moved on to the next piece. Um, I really like that. That seems powerful for both the teacher and the learner, both mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. that success criteria. So you're right. not just saying, yeah, I bombed it and I have to work harder because there's nothing exactly. worse than, than the student saying, I don't know, I bombed that test. I got a 66. I guess I just have to work harder because mm -hmm. that doesn't really give them any place to go or any place to truly study or refine their skills. It, it's kind of empty almost. Right, you know? right. And that this gives them the step by step, you know, exactly right. what you need to Powerful. do in order for you to be able to pass. And then I piggyback on that. So now that the student knows what they need to do, I, I, I'm guessing um, this makes communicating with home much easier oh, as well. So absolutely. Now, a lot of our parents or a lot of our homes are not used to standards-based grading. It's almost like a training right. ground, whereas <laughs> teachers, because they'll, they'll come in and say, I got this thing. I don't know what a two is. Can you tell me what a two is? Right. And so. How does assessment literacy play into that standards-based grading communication for home? Well, standards-based grading, when it's done in the way that I just described, using right. that scaffolded list of skills and concepts that are needed in order to demonstrate mastery of the standard, mm -hmm. when it's done that way, parents can now enter the conversation at levels that make a little bit more sense to them more than sense. saying, your kid has a two, you know, or yeah. your kid has a 70. Right. Um, those are general terms. They are general assessments of progress. What parents need are more specific um, descriptions of progress. For example, um, if I'm having a student uh, annotate text and the student, and that's one of the requirements for them to demonstrate right. master the standard, and I'm noticing that they're annotating it wrong, I can look at the success criteria, see that that item is not checked off, and then communicate to the parent, kid needs to work on annotating the text. If I can communicate to the parent that the reason that the student is passing or not passing um, is that they have mastered or not mastered these specific skills, then the, the parent is able to enter that conversation a little bit more easily. For example, now I can say, well, because they're having trouble, for example, with context clues, then here is some worksheets around context clues. If they go home and work on this, then I'm sure we'll right. be able to check that off of the success criteria. And once we check that off, that's going to move that student from not passing to passing. That's a much clearer um, conversation to have with a parent as opposed to he just needs to do his homework or he just needs to participate more right. in class. What we find right. is that a lot of times, uh, quite frankly, um, parent teacher conferences can get a little contentious, <laughs> you know, um, when, you when, when, yeah, when, when you're when you're saying to their to the parent that there are some grading policies that are kind of subjective. Right. Um, and the parent recognizes that. Then if you say things like, well, in our class, 10% of the greatest participation and the parent is like, well, wait a second, what does participation mean? And if you don't have success criteria for participation and you haven't delineated exactly what those learning steps are, then that parent right. has an entry place to actually argue around what participation is and why is it so important for a final grade? 
However, if we go with standards-based grading and we have this list of skills and concepts and those students have not demonstrated that, then there's not a lot of room to argue because those same skills and concepts apply to every student, not just in that class, but every student in the state. And so that means that as we're looking at those particular skills and concepts, every kid is responsible for these learning steps. And that makes parent communication so much easier because now I can say these are the specific skills and concepts that the student needs to work on in order mm -hmm. to be able to pass. So I'm hearing you say that the ambiguity of teachers assigning or giving a grade, which I just detest when you say, what grade did you give me, Ms. O? Um, that <laughs> right. actually it's, here's where your student is on their journey of right. mastering this skill. And this is how you can help at home. Um, these are some tools and resources instead of they've got a you know a 68 and mm -hmm. uh, bringing in a box of kleenex for two points is going to push them into the 70 zone exactly so this exactly. is a direct correlation yeah a direct correlation i really like that it seems so much um more kind and clear right. um right. just to be able to have that direct communication Okay, so assessment literacy is not as scary as maybe I thought it was. It is not scary. <laughs> so our teachers need not feel like they have to create all their assessments themselves. They don't feel like they have to uh, um, really dive in that that deeply, but they just having having those connections that, that from the standard, we're going past the floor, we're going for more. Um, I just think that's that's pretty exciting and then be able to communicate that to home as well. Um, thanks for clearing some of that up and kind of giving our listeners something to think about. So I think it's uh, dad joke time. I'll try to laugh if possible. <laughs> so have, have that's you all got right. it? I, I know I, I slow clap and don't laugh and you're like, are you ever gonna laugh at one? So like, yeah, give me a funny one and I'll try to laugh. But anyway, no, see, so I'm see I, I felt that in my gut. You know, I felt that in my gut, Says. <laughs> All right, so listen, you know, uh, we're talking about assessment literacy. One of my other passions is math literacy. Um, and math literacy is yeah. being able to read, write, speak, and listen using the language of math. I'm a former math teacher, so I absolutely love mathematics. Um, and so uh, what you yeah. should know about me, though, is that, um, you know, my, my wife is not my first relationship. Um, I've actually had some relationships oh. as many of you, I, many of, don't look at me like that. Many of you, many of oh. you out there, you've had some, some previous relationships before the one you're with now. Um, and so because I'm a math guy, okay. I went through and I made a graph of like all of my past relationships. Right. And you should see the graph, <laughs> no. right? Because it has an X axis and a Y axis. It has an X. I can't help it. X axis. I know. Like why? Why did I even do that axis? Why? Why would I why would I have them? Yeah, X's. Okay. All my X's live in Texas, but I'm And if you don't know, AT's in Texas. So there you go. So all your X's do all your X's live in Texas there, AT? All my X's do not live in Texas. Okay, good. Okay. Well, anyway. So Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for PD in a Pod. Um, and thanks, AT, for sharing um, that not-so-scary view of assessment literacy. We hope you've uh, found something, a little nugget to take away and put into your classroom tomorrow. Um, and also, if you enjoy your time here, click and share and save uh, all of our social media channels. We appreciate you so much, and we hope to see you back here soon. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye for now, guys. 
joining us for this episode of PD in a Pod. Now, head over to our website where you can access all of our podcast uploads, schedule a consultation, and check out our resources. As always, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues.